everybody, and welcome back to Joygasm, a video game and movie podcast. I'm Russ, he is Steve, and happy International Podcast Day in episode 243 today, October 1st, 2021. You know, technically, happy International Podcast Day was yesterday, it was on September 30th. Mm. But you know, I figured, hey, that was a 24-hour period. Normally, we would record on a Thursday, but because... We saw the movie last night, and we're recording on Friday. Yeah, a little give and take, you know? Plus, it extends the celebration a little bit, you know? It does indeed, and we are all about celebrating around here. We're going to be getting right into our topic of the day, which is the Venom Let There Be Carnage movie review. So there's no need to fast forward. But before we get started, make sure you offer up some chocolate to that subscribe button. Maybe even (laughs) clang that notification bell, but not too hard or too loudly because, you know, those symbiotes don't like a whole lot of sound. Anyway, Steve. Yeah, Russ. I suppose it is only fitting to issue up the spoiler alert to let folks know that we're going to be going into spoiler territory during this review. But what did you think of the film? I overall did enjoy it. Mm. Um... I watched the trailer to the the first Venom today uh, when I got home and I was just getting all goose bumpy. Yeah. Or bumpy goose. Goose pimply. Um, and, you know, I, I, I really do want to watch the first one all over again. Um, but I've been looking forward to this film coming out, Rush. I know you I have. I have been. And uh, now I can't, I, I'm not used to going back to the theater yet, though. I will tell you that, Russ. I mean, we went there last night. I'm like the only one there. No. No. There was one other person. Yeah, I was going to say, there was at least one other person yeah. in our row that also was sporting the, yeah. the medical mask. Yes. I ha- Symbiote. Symbiote! <laughs> <laughs> um anyway had to give him a little uh you know fist bump homie handshake yeah there you go <laughs> brings me back to my college fraternity days <laughs> anyway so um no yeah so the movie was great i i really did enjoy it um i thought the music was great i'd love seeing san francisco uh eddie brock is back venom's back and Carnage is there, you know, and, and the ending was wonderful as well. Um, I thought Woody Harrelson did a good job as Carnage. And um, uh, what's what's uh, Tom uh, Hardy? Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. Not Tom Softy. No, not, not Tom. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, not Tom Flexible. <laughs> Definitely not Tom Rigid, but Tom Hardy. Tom. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. So, uh, no, that the whole thing was just wonderful. Uh, the, you know, they brought the whole cast back. And, yeah. And uh, Andy Circus was directing this one. Absolutely. And so, no, I had a great time. Good. I really did. Yeah. Excellent. Yes. Yes, I, too, had fun with the movie. I've been waiting for it. It occurred to me as I was putting my notes together for the show that the first Venom movie came out in 2018, which to me is like kind of a, a while ago. Like it, it was back when everything was normal, you know, like, right. like we didn't have all of this COVID craziness going on and one could just go to the theater and enjoy oneself. But I mean, that two, makes sense. It actually. wasn't even 2019. It was 2018. Yeah. Wow. I know. Well, 
Man, I know, it seems like it was 2019 because I know nothing really happened last year, like whatsoever. Yeah. So we got to take away that year all all the way. Right. And so that brings us to 2019. I caught. I thought it was in 2019. I didn't think it was all the way back to 2018. Yeah. Maybe we did. We see it in 2019 though. No. We didn't see it in the theater. Oh yeah, we did. We did not. We saw it right here. How did we see it here in 2018? 2019. Why would we not see it in 2018? Because we passed it in the theater. Remember, we saw we were talking about it on the show. We we're like, did oh, we how, really? How did we miss this? Yeah, because everybody was like, it was in the theater, and we we're like, oh yeah, I heard it sucks. Yeah, uh, you're know, like Metacritic or Rotten you know, Tomatoes, like said it sucked. We're not gonna watch it. And so then it came out like on like Xbox or something. We saw it on Microsoft Store. We're like, yeah, let's just go ahead and watch it. You know, we're gonna talk about that something this week anyway. Right, you are totally right. And now yes. it's all coming back to me now. But and, we, and so we didn't see it at all in 2018. Like you're you're sure I'm that we saw it in 2019? Pretty darn. Like we positive. waited that long. Yes. It wasn't like Christmas or December of 2018. Mm, nah, it was like because you got to think like 2018. It probably would have come out. Well, like I like can look and see when yeah. it came out, but it was probably like. I don't know, mid-year, probably June-ish. And it takes... Really? Yeah, it takes a few months for it, for it yeah. to come out yeah, yeah. on uh, like streaming services or you know Blu-ray or something. Well, I trust you because you've got the, the mind of a steel trap between the two of us. <laughs> this one's more like of an elephant. Like a sieve over here. But um, <laughs> no, like I, I, after you were describing it, yeah, that is coming back to me now. So, wow. So yes. maybe that's why is because... We were a little late to the show, essentially, yes, and right. so we didn't have to wait as long, which is, you know, it's kind of a silver lining. Yeah. But um, anyway, um, yeah, overall, it's that symbiote again. Took something from the movie theater rush. I did. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you told the symbiote to behave itself <laughs> while we're giving you the show. Steve. Yeah. <laughs> we are hungry. Yeah. Do not eat my brain, okay? There's a lot up here that I value. I want liver, kidneys, brain. <laughs> Very nice. Oh, boy. Anyway, um, I did feel as if the movie was a bit short. I didn't think it was that short. I thought it was pretty short. Like, like as we were going through, all of a sudden we're hitting these plot points and I'm just thinking, man, we're already here. And wow. Okay. We're here. And oh, it, it, to me, it almost felt like an hour and a half long movie, even though I think it was at least two hours. Right. Uh, I can ask uh, Siri. Well, yeah, go ahead and take a little uh, searchy. How long is the Venom movie? It's not saying anything uh, at all. Um, it just says, oh, Venom, let there be carnage. Is that what you're looking for? Uh-huh. Maybe, yeah. maybe if you tap on it, it'll... Yeah, well, while you're doing that, I'm just going to continue on and talk about how... Um, one of the things I think is that is... What's the right word for this? Yes, Russ. I will go so far as to say is disappointing about the film uh -huh. is that it was rated PG-13. Indeed it was. And the first film... Hour and 30 minutes... Oh my goodness. No wonder it was short. It didn't seem like it was that short. I'm telling you, by the time the movie wrapped, in my mind, I was thinking to myself, man, that felt like it was only an hour and a half. But I, I was under the impression that it was a two hour movie. And I was thinking, man, we're like hopping from thing to thing to thing. That makes perfect sense. Wow. Hmm. 
I thought it was like a two-hour movie. I didn't think it was that quick. Validation. Hmm. But yeah, no, I, I was hoping for a slightly longer film. I wasn't looking for like a three-hour film, but ah. you know, having an extra 30 minutes in there, I think would have helped this film out in multiple places, which um, I'll cover as we go along here. But going back to the, the rating itself. So I feel like this is a classic example of what happens when you have a character that is basically classified as more of a villain. I mean, like when they're, they're trying to bridge the gap by calling it an anti-hero, but Eddie Brock in the, the traditional classic sense of the Spider-Man world is a villain. Like he's true and true, a, a total and complete villain. And that becomes, I think a creative challenge for the cast and crew because they want to be able to capture the teenage market. They don't want to completely go as like violent as they, they really should. Um, in my opinion, because this is, this is a particular villain that is a very messy villain. This is a, a villain that, uh, prides itself on not only scaring the crap out of, uh, out of, uh, whoever hapless victim comes across, but also the means of which, I mean, it, they are very much a, uh, hands on melee, like, you know, lots of claws, lots of teeth, lots of stabbing, slashing, that sort of thing. And so furthermore, it complicates things a bit because in this film, they are introducing carnage and carnage is even more of that than venom is. And I remember like, actually when I first got my, not why you're wearing your red shirt here. No, Steve, these are the joy gasm colors. Joy gasm colors, bro. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Show my just, school I, spirit. I bruh. just didn't know because Carnage was red. This is not red. It's like maroon, burgundy-ish, whiny. Well, yeah. Just Bordeaux, mar- maroon. Not really maroon. <laughs> maroon five. Bordeaux. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, stop trying to T-bone my Sorry. thought process. I had to get that thought out. Anyway. When it comes to something like Carnage, I actually, when I, when I first started getting into the Spider-Man comics back yeah. in the early 90s, that was when they introduced the character of Carnage. Mm. And so I was getting the, this whole introduction to this character that really started to be more of a threat to Venom. It's interesting because it's almost like, like if I were to use a Star Wars reference, it was like, like if Venom was uh, Darth Vader, but Carnage was Darth Maul. It's kind of that that comparison where like Venom has a certain code in a way that he operates by, even if it's not by like the same kind of code that like a protagonist would be uh, adhered to or whatever. But like there are several stories in the Spider-Man universe where there are like temporary alliances that like say Peter Parker makes with Eddie Brock and that sort of thing. Carnage though, he's a serial killer. Like, like this, this guy is like, there's no, there's nothing else there, but just he delights in suffering and injuring and killing people. And that, I mean like, like that's what makes carnage even um, more of, of a unique threat into itself. So I think that that was kind of one of the challenges that I found with the film was, was you could tell they were trying to do as much as they could with the PG-13 PG rating. PG-13 rating, yeah. But I found myself thinking about how freeing it is when you watch like a Deadpool movie because those films are rated R. And as a result, you get like the full expected type of Deadpool experience. And yeah, it's violent. And yeah, like there are parts that make you go, Ow! Oh! yeah, you know, but that's part of the fun. And I feel like 
this film could have benefited from that. What's the use, Steve? Well, of course, Russ. I mean, I think we actually talked about that in the previous podcast when we were talking about Venom Uno. Mm. And oftentimes we talk about comic book movies, uh, maybe not so much like X-Men or something, but um, like a Wolverine for for crying out loud. You know, we wanted that rated R. We were praising, you know, Logan when it came out because uh, it had the, the freedom that, that it should have oh, as yeah. a comic book in, in a movie form. So, no, I mean, it, it's definitely true. But, I mean, at, on the flip side, you definitely... The way they are portraying the character with, uh, you know, him always like in Eddie's ear and in his mind talking to him, they are giving you some kind of dark humor. Mm -hmm. And I don't think a dark humor movie with just a bunch of hack and slash might not necessarily go together. So it might kind of take away a little bit. Um, I feel Maybe. like the first Venom, though, was more successful in its execution of portraying a an appropriate amount of violence, but in a way that, like, it didn't seem like, like it was being held back versus this film where, like, like if you, like, in, in the first film, like, you straight up saw Venom, like, bite the head off people. Like, they're, like, it was in a well-lit scene. And if you notice in this film, it was like every time that happened, it was like this darkened, sh like shadowy silhouette kind of thing. You didn't really see him like take the chomp and uh, you know, like, like, and as a result, it was like, Oh, okay. It's like, Oh, he's doing it. But it's, it's it didn't have that element of, of horror to it. And I think that that's where there, there was a bit of a, a wrestling back and forth, by the way, I'm going to tell you this because oh I keep staring at it. I what? think you've got like a dust moat or, Something like right there, right there, right, right there. Okay, see Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along. Um. Okay, so the sequel picks right up where the first film left off. Right. What did you think of that, Steve? So where the old film left off, you were basically like. You didn't, you thought Venom was dead. Yeah. And so we find out he's not dead. You know, you kind of hear him talking in the in his head a little bit. You're like, oh yeah, you know, you're not dead. <laughs> and then he goes to uh, San Quentin and talks to uh, Woody Harrelson, who's, uh, who was, what was that? He was also like a serial killer in a movie a uh, while Natural ago. Born Killers. Natural Born Killers. That's what made me excited about him playing uh, Cletus Cassidy yeah. was that he he already has experience playing this type of role. <laughs> when I hear Cletus, I just think of Cletus. Cletus. Yeah. Well, come on, Cletus. <laughs> come on. <laughs> Walk over here. Be limping back. <laughs> Man, I'll take this woman out of her misery. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, so um, so he goes to San Quentin. He wants to tell his story, Cletus's story, to Brock. And that was a part that I thought was a little confusing because I didn't understand where the relationship was because Cletus didn't have like any kind of role in the first right. Venom film. And so I kept wondering myself, okay, what is the fascination that Cletus has with Eddie Brock? We know Eddie is a reporter, but like in the, the first film, he basically gets fired from his job and right. he's kind of in between jobs. He's trying to do what he can. And I think by the end of the film, maybe he's like on the up and up again, but he's not like some sort of like 
huge AAA star reporter kind of guy. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm like, where does the, the fascination come in? So my take is that, so he is on the up and up, but he's a slippery slope. So Eddie Brock is the guy who is the investigative reporter who looks at stuff and finds out like your dirty laundry true and airs it. And yeah. so everybody goes like, Ooh, he's a cool guy. Yeah. Um, and then maybe the rest of the media world goes, Oh, he's a cool guy too, but no one wants to touch him because in a way he kind of burns his own lead. He's a liability. He's a liability. Yeah. So, um, I mean, he's a freelance, um, reporter in that sense. And so people will support him. That's how he gets his money. But he's still like the underdog popular reporter. No one wants to deal with him. And so he's not on top, but like he is still hot stuff. Well, maybe that's what it is where like now Cletus figures he can somehow gain leverage on top of Eddie by saying, look, I'll make a deal with you. You basically unbeknownst to Eddie, like, you know, indirectly communicate to the love of his life about what's going down, that sort of thing. And then he will supposedly reveal like the locations of all of his victims. And then Venom is the one who actually like puts, <laughs> puts it all so together. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let's talk about that for a minute. That was actually one of my favorite scenes. I think it's probably yours as well, but like that, the whole sequence where he's sitting down with those Sharpie markers and Venom is temporarily taking over Eddie's ability to draw and that sort of thing. And like basically from memory, like re-scribbles all these different sketches from Cletus's prison cell. What'd you think of that? Now that was definitely pretty cool. Uh, I mean, we all don't really know all the abilities that Venom has. I mean, he can heal himself and he's strong, mm-hmm. he's agile, you know, whatever, but we don't really know the extent of what he can do. Right. And so, uh, you know, but he's always hearing and seeing what Eddie is is hearing and right. seeing. And so they, yeah, they walk past his cell. And feeling. And feeling, pretty much. So they walk past his cell, and of course, you know, Cletus has a ton of time on his hands when he's in jail for the rest of his life, approaching <laughs> death row. So he's just kind of like going, carving out, like, hit the, the scenes that he remembers from his victims and where they're all buried. And it means nothing to nobody except for him. But there are clues. Yeah. And so Venom, like, takes a photo, you know, snap snap of sorts in his memory. And so he gets home, takes control of his arms and starts, like, you know, <laughs> rattling out all these doodles on, on paper so that Eddie can see them. Eddie can put them together and act with Venom's help. Yeah. And discover where these uh, these places are. Yeah. I think I've actually been to that beach, by the way. Oh, really? That looked really familiar. It was a lot of fun that they stayed in San Francisco because obviously that's uh, home to us. And so we were looking around and I mean, I'm every shot they had. <laughs> if I'm going to be facetious, though, where were like the needles and the, the defecation oh, on the gosh. streets and stuff? They you know, didn't I go down I'm, that road, Rose. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't go down that road. Yeah, no. <laughs> Couldn't resist. Couldn't help myself. Um, so... Let's let's pivot from that over to Woody Harrelson because we talked a little bit about him being the in the role of Carnage. And I want to just be able to, to expand upon that a bit more because you know, like like you you actually uh beat me to the the punch with that <laughs> when it comes to um you know, Woody Harrelson has that experience playing in Natural Born Killers. And have you seen that movie? Yes. Okay. Well, it's been a while, but yeah. Yeah, it came out a long time ago, Oliver Stone movie really, really... Robert Downey Jr.'s in that one. He is. I think he's the reporter, isn't he? He's the reporter, yeah. Yeah. So that was 
just a, a, a visually arresting movie. I mean, you're watching it and you're just, you're like, you're glued to the screen. You're like, my goodness, what are they going to do next? There's just this sense of unpredictability uh, throughout. And I really wanted to see that occur in this film. Maybe not in the same way as what they did in that film, obviously, but um, I felt as though they didn't utilize Woody Harrelson in a way that would have taken advantage that could have tapped into that. Did you have that at all? Or were you pretty satisfied with what they did with him? I think I was pretty satisfied. I think Woody Harrelson in a way uh, he could be a bit typecast if he starts acting a little bit too much like he is, sure. because like if he starts to smile and laugh He's, he's very, he looks like a lot of other movies that he's been in. Yeah. And I think his voice might change to, to sound like every other movie he's been in too. And this one, he was different. I think he toned a bit of that down. Yeah. Uh, and so I was actually okay with, with how he was. You know, as I'm listening to you talk, uh, my mind goes to True Detective. Have you seen that show at all? Oh man, it's probably been like years. So you, did you ever see the series with Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson in it? No. Oh man, that's awesome. That that's a that's really really cool. That actually is what put that show on the map as far as I'm concerned. I was like, "Wow, this is I think it was the first season." Um but what was interesting about that is that True Detective is all about trying to find um some kind of killer as well, pro- you know, most likely a serial killer. Sure. And, but Woody Harrelson doesn't play a serial killer in that film. He's plays one of the detectives. He's one of the cops or whatever. But the reason why I'm bringing this up is I really appreciated the pacing that they had with that show. Now, clearly the show has a lot more time to work with because it's episodic so they can have a more of a slower burn if they want to or whatever. But I feel as though if this film were to have had just 30 minutes more. So it was like a two hour movie instead of an hour and a half. They could have dedicated that 30 minutes to really fleshing out Cassidy's character. Like I wanted, I wanted there to be some real like juicy character development where like, like if you noticed they ended up kind of speeding through like how he came to be through like those cartoon sketches, which I mean, in its own way, that was creative. That was fun. That sort of thing. But I felt like it it did the character a disservice because we speed through his, his childhood history, which they could have still done and kept. But I wanted like, once he broke out of the prison, I wanted to see, I just wanted to see him be his serial killer self. And I think that would have made him much more threatening because if you think about it, like he was just kind of like, woo, yeah, all right, I got the car, woo. <laughs> and like, that's all he was really kind of doing. Like he, he seemed more like a yahoo as opposed to someone who is very cold and calculating right. and I mean, gets off on murdering people. Right. And so I think that that was a, a critique that I had with that particular character because I was set. Like when, when I saw Woody Harrelson was going to be that character, I was like, Ooh, yeah, this is, this is going to be awesome. And, and to a, a large extent, I still really enjoyed watching him. But, but again, I feel like they just didn't give him enough opportunity. No, I can definitely see that. Uh, maybe in the director's cut, possibly. There's oh. going to be one deleted scenes there. Right? Hopefully. So I, yeah, I, but that does make a lot of sense. I get you. I'm, I'm picking up what you're throwing down. Oh, good. Glad you're hmm. milking the cow. <laughs> no, I was picking up what you're throwing. Yeah. <laughs> you were throwing it down. I was picking it up. That was what that was. <laughs> so let's talk about the relationship between um, Eddie Brock and Venom, oh, which 
was it was such a an enjoyable thing to sure. to witness, right? And I'm glad that that we were able to see more of how they're living with each other. They have this coexistence going on. And I think what was really cool was to see how it has gone from like a truce. Like basically at the end of the first film, they came to an understanding where they're like, okay, if we're going to be together, you know, you can't just go around doing this, this and that, and then we'll, we'll figure out a way to, to coexist. In the second film, they've been together for a little while now. And I think what was really cool was to see more of the caring side of Venom. And I really enjoy like, for instance, when, Eddie gets invited to his uh, ex-fiance's, well, not, well, just his ex-fiance invites him to a restaurant. And it's there that she reveals that she's now engaged to Daniel, I think his name was. You know, um, that whole sequence that, that transpired afterwards where he's on the motorcycle and he's just down in the dumps and he's honestly, he's just, he's, he's not really feeling anything. He's feeling numb. He, in fact, he, he looks like he wouldn't mind if he just took his life or whatever. And it was interesting to see how, you know, on the one hand, Venom needs Eddie to stay alive. So there's that motivation. But I think there was also this very clear and present motivation in terms of Venom realizing like the state that Eddie was in. And I loved, I don't remember exactly like how it was said, but like, I loved how, um, Venom talked about how Eddie's hurting and how like, it's not a physical hurt that he can fix. It's a feeling kind of thing. Right. And I just loved how they didn't like spend too much time on it. But at the same time, there was like the script was written perfectly in a way that was like, it was obtuse, but at the same time it wasn't it, like it, it just, it, it kind of like left it there on the table for us. Like, you know, the, the, the metaphorical table for us just to kind of fill in the dots and the blanks and stuff. Did you like that? I <clears throat> did, man. I don't know what it is after that movie, Russ. I'm just uh, gurgly. Symbiote. Man. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Oh, anyway. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of more of that, like kind of like the buddy system um, sure. that was in there. And, and, and there's plenty of times where like in, even in the first movie where they say like, Hey, you need me and I need you. Like Venom's yeah. the underdog where he comes from. Eddie's the underdog here on earth. And Eddie has the, I guess the right chromosomes or the genes or whatever that, you know, Eddie can survive with Venom inside. Venom doesn't have to go to host to host to host. Yeah. And so, and we saw a little bit of that in this because, you know, at some point they just have a falling out, have a falling out. You're like, I'm done with you. And (laughs) Eddie goes, after the fight, these are laid on the floor of his apartment. Like (laughs) I have no more voice inside my head. I can sleep peacefully now. You know, I'm like, yes, that ground was pretty gnarly looking too. His face was dirty. Yeah, Yeah, really. Uh, and so Venom goes from person to person to person, but can't survive. He always has to be like on the run. Um, and he's Venom's almost like dying when yeah. he enters in that uh, Miss Chen, Miss Chen, yeah, in her little shop. Uh, and so he's like, I need Eddie. I need another host. And so she houses, you know, houses. Oh my god, you know, what well, kind of yeah, let 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 him stay there Let's for a while, like be the host. So um, anyway. But that's interesting you bring that up because uh, it makes me think of that rave scene right after where Venom is in some body and he's at the rave and he's like basically being out there. He's not right. He's not in the shadow. He's not, you know, like hitting bad guys and, you know, who cares who sees him anyway because they're probably all going to be dead. 
But he's out there and people are all in costume and they're looking at him and like, hey, you know, Chris costume, bro. And he has that little speech and I kind of thought, you know, like, what? There's something else that's going on there. And I actually looked it up. Mm-hmm. And Andy Circus, I don't know what's going on, but he he was saying that he it's intentional that he wanted Eddie and Venom to have a quote unquote love affair. Eddie and and Venom? Eddie and Venom. A love affair. Yes. I will send you the article. You can read it. it I mean, uh, it was oh, uprocks.com. Uprocks.com. They did an interview. I'll send you the thing. You can post it on the thing, Rod. You post it on the YouTube. People can see it and read it. <laughs> but anyway, he lays the whole thing out. I'm like, how is that possible? A, like you're, you know, you're kind of changing the whole dynamic of the character. Like, I don't know much about Venom in the comic books. You know a lot more about it than I do. But I had none of that impression in the movies and none of that from the very little that I read. Correct me if I'm wrong or if anyone's listening, correct me if I'm wrong. But I didn't know that was the case. But it kind of goes back to what we were talking about last week with the Star Wars thing and and people kind of meddling with the characters that we've grown up with and know. And they're kind of changing them to be something else or someone else's imagination instead of like the original story. I'll have to read the article because it sounds to me like he's trying to have some sort of like, like he's describing something um, in, with, with regards to like the, like, I don't know. I can see how directors are using certain examples for things in order to get the the right kind of performance out of, out of their actor. Um, yeah, I'll, ha- I'll have to check it out. I, it's pretty clear. Well, the one thing about that particular scene, though, so that scene I felt was, didn't have to be there. Like, I understand, like, like they were attempting to show that Venom was processing through the fact that he was no longer with Eddie and Eddie wasn't his host and he was going back and forth and how he's had to kind of hide all this time and that sort of thing. But I felt as though the rave scene was the wrong way to show that. And again, it goes back to that whole like PG-13 kind of rating thing where it's like, you know, what what what, what do the kids like to do these days? <laughs> I know. They like to put, you know, little like glow stick bracelets and stuff. And they like to go out in costume. That's what they like to do. They like to feel like they belong. And I'm like, that doesn't. Like that can work in certain capacities, but not in a Venom movie. Like they could have really shown something that was far more, I think, gritty and down to earth in terms of like showing Venom going through this, this like process of, of survival. Right. And, and, and wondering like what's going to happen. He's going through a cascade of, of emotions as well. Like, I think that, that there was a missed opportunity to be able to explore that in a way that really makes Venom less of a, of a fantasy sensationalized type of enemy character. And instead can like bring it into something that's like, you know, if you watch and you, and you start to all of a sudden develop empathy for the character And I think that's a very difficult thing to do because Venom is such a grotesque character and it's a symbiote, it's a parasite, you know, there's all these different things. And the one thing that is acting as a strength on Venom's behalf was the dialogue. And that was something that like you and I loved throughout the entire film was the lines that Venom had were hilarious. And, and, you know, kudos to Tom Hardy who uh, performed those lines. But when you go through and you see 
all these different scenes where, where the, the lines are coming out, you, you can't help but love Venom. And, and that's the funniest thing because Venom, once again, isn't, he's not a guardian angel. You know, not, he, you're not going to hang out with him on the weekends like you would no, like the Avengers or something, you know, not at all. But Spider-Man, I think that that that's where there was this, this massive success, both in the first film, but especially in the second one, because the second one, you really start to see his personality right. come through. And I think that that is partially Tom Hardy's credit, but I think it's also Andy Serkis's credit because Andy has experience being in character like, you know, Gollum or, or any of the others that he's done. And, uh, so that they are to be commended for that. But again, I just, I feel as though there are those little parts where I'm like, yeah, like it didn't connect with me in the way I was hoping it would. Yeah. I would think that, um, you know, in the movie, Venom is always saying like, you know, he wants to be the hero. He wants to be out in the open, saving the day, killing bad guys, not even like putting them away, but killing them so we can eat them. And, um, but people, you know, society is not ready to accept venom and his like grotesque, you know, right. sort of like nature, like, no, get away from you're a monster. Um, so I would, I maybe would have liked a scene where, um, like he maybe was kicking butt mm-hmm. and, but people were still like, he didn't get the reaction he wanted to get. And therefore like he needed Eddie, uh, to help him either blend in or become like acceptable or, you know, whatnot. And so I kind of made, made that connection come back because as we saw in that scene, like, yeah, they, they both got back together at, you know, and yeah, <laughs> sort of thing. But Venom was surviving on his own, not great, not ideally, but I mean, he could still be Venom and other hosts and still do what he wanted to do. He ne- didn't necessarily need Eddie. I think it's worth noting too that the movie, once again, like like what you just mentioned, the film spent time in that area of, of where Venom wanted to be accepted by society and wanted to, to stop hiding and just be out and about. And I think, again, that was the wrong creative approach right. to the source material because once again, like if you read the comic book, so like, you know, Peter Parker comes in contact with the symbiote in the comic books originally. And the symbiote is able to woo Peter Parker with all of these new extra abilities and strength. And, but at the same time, it's the symbiote is slowly changing Peter Parker as well to the point where Peter, you know, at the last minute basically realizes that this can't happen anymore. And so then he's desperately trying to rid himself of the symbiote and he's able to do so underneath a giant like church bell, uh, where the, the bell clangs. And that's when Peter Parker learns about how the symbiotes hate that sound and everything. And so the symbiote, um, ditches Peter and then finds Eddie. And then that's how that relationship starts. So I think when it comes to, to that whole portion, again, it's like, I mean, to be fair, like I haven't read every single comic book that has Venom in it. Sure. But I know enough where that's not really his MO. Like the symbiote's MO is to survive and thrive. And that, I mean, they have a a singular track, which is just find a proper host and stay with that host. And I think that that was also one of the things too about the film where, where it's kind of teetering back and forth because they definitely made Venom a likable character. I would even go so far as to say they made him a lovable character. But I think it's important 
to not abandon the origins of the symbiote itself. The symbiote is a very deadly alien entity. It's something that like, it's not, you don't treat it as if you would a puppy, right? (laughs) So I think that 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 was one of the things that like go back and forth. And um, again, having a rated R uh, attached to the film, I think would have perhaps loosened the shackles a bit more in that. Um, But anyway, Moving right along, Steve, unless you had something else you wanted to add. No, nothing to add. What I was going to say, though, you, I think you alluded to this earlier on when uh, you were talking about uh, uh, you know, like Venom's voice and, and, and Brock's mind and everything. This has nothing to do with what you said, but um, when we were talking about the IMDb stuff in the previous podcast, well, previous, like, you know, Months ago, a year ago, <laughs> but um, which one? The I well, there was a there was a little tidbit of info on the IMDb uh-huh. about the first Venom movie. Oh, okay. When and we were talking about this, where um, the way they do Venom's voice is Tom Hardy doing the voice, and then they you know they they synthesize it and yep. did they do whatever they need to do, yep. and they put the little ear thing, you know, the little like earbud in his ear and so it's tom hardy talking to himself as if it's venom and so that's how he's responding which is like brilliant yeah and so in this movie you know there's time and he's used to venom talking and so he impersonates venom a little bit but it's like the exact voice and so like if you didn't know that um i mean i knew that Mm -hmm. since i read the imdb um kind of like backstage stuff yeah but uh anyhow i saw more of that coming through in in this movie did you, did you notice that? I did. And actually I was really pleased about that. That was another thing I liked was, okay. So to me, that speaks to what I was just talking about, where the longer that the symbiote stays with you as, as a host, like a host body, you, your personality, like who you are as a person starts to erode and you are starting to become more like the symbiote, which again, that's, that was, that's what was happening with Peter Parker in the comics. And so I was very pleased to see that about how, like, you know, I don't think it was a mistake at all where there were times where as Eddie was replying to Venom, how his voice was starting to have the same sound and tone and that sort of thing to it. That's good. That's a, that's a very <laughs> good thing. I wanted to talk about some of the memorable scenes from the film. Uh, the first one on my list is Venom making Eddie breakfast. We saw this <laughs> Yeah, in the trailer, man, and it was—I mean, it, it was a great lead-in in in the trailer. And then once again, you see it, and with context uh, in the film itself, I absolutely love that. I thought it was so fun. I thought it was cool too because he, again, he knew that Eddie was in this mourning period of of, of a failed relationship of of watching his ex fiance become a fiance to someone else. And I really appreciated some of the things that they decided to do. Like if you notice, like, like at one point, like some of the, the tendrils kind of go up on Eddie's shoulder and kind of gives him a little shoulder rub. And like <laughs> yeah. there are other things where like he's looking through the mail and then one of the tendrils comes up and like just very gently just kind of like turns yeah. Eddie's <laughs> head to like look at one of the postcards. Those little subtle nuanced animations and, and, and thoughtfulness Again, it really puts a lot of of believable well, believability into the Venom character. I did you like that as well? I did. I mean, it just goes more to what we were talking about, where you know, like they they do kind of need each other in a way. Yeah. I mean, 
Um, Eddie's not social. Venom's, of course, not social, but they want to be. And even like Venom's like, you know, I want to socialize with the chickens and you know, I need friends, <laughs> you know, even though everything is my food. Literally everything is my food, including yeah. like people. Um, I like the comment about <laughs> how the chickens have very small brains. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, name the chickens like we name yeah. pets. He's like, and Eddie can't stand it. No, I cannot eat them. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, to me, it, it, it kind of, went towards like, you know, Venom knew his emotions and, and what Eddie was capable of doing, have those emotions get the better of him. And so it was almost like Venom doing the opposite of instead of feeding on Eddie as a host, he was nourishing him and trying to make him feel better. Nursing by, him. Nur yeah. Um, like nursing him back to health. Yeah. Or happiness even. Yeah. So the happier he is, the less likely he's about to kill himself. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, well, and I think that that's where it's, it has fun skirting that line because on the one hand um, Venom knows that he, if Eddie dies then Venom's going to have to go back to trying to find a He's suitable host. He's got a host. very hard time. And who knows if, Ven if, if it will be able to right. find another proper host. So there's that motivation but at the same time too I think that as they bond for a longer and longer period of time that you that Venom does have a certain amount of respect and like for, for Eddie and so that, you know, there, there's that back and forth that that's going on. But I, I absolutely loved that whole uh, breakfast scene. And I think it, it lends itself really nicely in terms of as Venom was singing. If you've heard the original song, that that song is, um, is saying by um, uh, Louis Armstrong. <laughs> and so it's so <laughs> fitting to see. Venom, who already kind of has that kind of sound to his voice. Hey, yeah, exactly. You say tomato, I say tomato. <laughs> you know, <laughs> tomato, tomato, let's call the whole thing off. <laughs> so I thought that was a, a wonderful. Uh, that is so funny. Yeah, wonderful choice of music there. And, and, and actually, it was fitting, too, in terms of, of what was happening in the plot where you know, calling the whole thing off kind of thing in terms of like Eddie not being able to rekindle his um, fiance. Speaking of feelings though, I mean, he still felt something for, what was her name? Anne? Anne. Anne. So, um, I mean, he took Anne as a host in the first movie. I forgot how beautiful she is. She's, yeah, one, she's a wonderful actress. Uh, <laughs> wonderful in many ways, Russ. I don't really, you know, I found myself wondering what other films have I seen her in and uh this time, my mind is blank. I don't know. When she was in the little shop and she was you know, putting on the, the puppy dog eyes and, and calling to him, it's like, Venom. And I'm like, looking at the theater like, yes, you're not talking to me, but I am Goo Goo Gaga right now. I'm pretty sure yeah. like every guy, I was like, who? Hmm? And, and I love too, once oh, again, the boy. performance of Venom where Venom's like, like, like at first he's like, are you for real? Yeah. And then like the longer she did it, he's like, okay. Yeah. So it's like he, you know, it, it just goes more towards that fact that, you know, he he's an emotional creature as well. Yeah. A violent emotional creature, but um, he knows what Eddie's feeling yeah. and he knows what Eddie and Anne had. And he has a bit of jealousy as well, because if Anne marries this guy, Dan, then she goes away and and Venom doesn't have that, you know, has loss of, of sorts because she's gone. Yeah. So anyway. 
And actually, so I do have that written down in my list of memorable scenes with Venom and Mrs. Chen. So that whole relationship, I thought, was a whole lot of fun. Even like when Eddie's walking into the department store, or not a department store, but like a, what is it? Eh, it's just like a little convenience store. Convenience store. Perfect. And I just, I love how she knows Venom's there. She's like, hi, Eddie. He's like, hi, Mrs. Chen. He's like, oh, hi, hi Venom. And I think he speaks like... Mandarin, Mandarin or yeah. Cantonese or something, but like a little tendril comes out. Like, oh, hello, you yeah. know? <laughs> and then not only that, but then when Venom returns and he's in a, a really bad state, how Mrs. Chin like takes him in. Um, I don't know. There's something really cool about that. It's like having a cool grandma <laughs> that like is not necessarily your grandmother by Jeez. blood, but like she washes out for you and that sort of thing. And then <laughs> seeing uh, Venom actually in her where like when, when the, she was speaking with Anne was just hilarious. Like, like the way that, that, that was going down. And even when, um, Venom then went to Anne and they were going back to Eddie and then Eddie had to apologize. That whole scene I thought was really funny. What'd you think? Yeah, that, that was good. And it was nice to see that, uh, that Venom took, you know, her as a host again, because his, all his body complexion changes, you know, it's not necessarily, feminine you know yeah. but i mean like he the facial structure the bone structure changes yeah and that was really cool and i mean you could tell Anne wanted an apology from or some sincerity i guess you yeah. could say from from eddie yeah and also venom did so it was like one and the same and venom like knew her feelings as well and i don't know it, that that was just neat I do think one of the triumphs of the film overall is the continuation of the relationships. And it wasn't just limited to Eddie and Venom, but it was also with Venom and Anne. Right. And I love that. I loved how there were certain scenes where Anne was talking with someone and all of a sudden she could tell something wasn't stirring the Kool-Aid and she was looking, she's like, Venom? You know, and then, you know, Venom starts to like, kind of get a little uncomfortable. He's like, no, it's not me. You know, and <laughs> she's like, that is totally you. And, and I, I love it because you see different relationship dynamics depending on who Venom is interacting with. Right. I don't know. I, I just think that's super cool how the, they, they actually went into that because they, they did it briefly with the first film because Venom was able to use Anne to be able to rescue Eddie or whatever. But I loved how they didn't just leave it there and not ever touch it again. Like, right. like there was this, this continuation. Yeah. Well, there's also the, the dynamic between Eddie and Dan too. Doc, yeah. Dr. Dan, because and, and that, <laughs> Doctor Dan. I think that's complex too, because Eddie knows he's not going to end up with, and I mean, his, his life, is, Eddie is not going to wind oh, up with, yeah. and mm -hmm. Because Eddie's life is now really complex with Eddie, Ann, and Dan are very Eddie, similar. Eddie, Ann, and Dan. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, he—it's just not going to happen. Yeah. And she wants a normal life. She doesn't want to like be married to a guy who's got a big alien parasite living in him and is almost an alternate personality of sorts. I mean, they're never going to have a private life. Good luck having kids. Like this is not a normal yeah. relationship anyone's going to want to have. And Eddie gets that, and so he begrudgingly, you know, accepts it. Knows it's realistic. Then so, but since Anne and Eddie and Venom kind of have this relationship, non-romantic style, and you know, Dan just kind of has to accept it too. Yeah. And so there's no like really butting heads. There's no fighting between the two dudes. They just know what what's that. They just get it. They just accept it. You know, and I and I kind of appreciated that. I, I didn't I didn't want them to kind of get at each other's throats and have like this, you know, bro beat up kind of deal. I 
I think it's an exploration of what coexisting is. Right. And I think that it's very smart to be able to showcase, okay, not only are you, you know, do you have this symbiote that is coexisting with Eddie on a more physical and emotional level, that sort of thing, but also how do we permeate that throughout the entire movie in different ways at different capacities with the different characters. And so I think that speaks to, to what you're describing. Right. Let's talk about Frances Barrison. So she was the love interest of Cassidy. Ah, uh, yes. And I think that actress was in Pirates of the Caribbean. I think she was, um, at least she was in Pirates of the Caribbean 2 and 3, but she was in the bayou, if you recall, like like they were trying to figure out what they should do, and she had like, uh, like she had a relationship with Jack Sparrow. Do you remember this? No. Oh. I haven't seen those. I've seen what you have that reaction every time I've seen the first one and I've seen the last one. I've seen nothing else. That's insane. I think you said that last time as well. Okay. Your homework <laughs> assignment yeah, I is you- to watch two and three because no. there's a lot in there. <laughs> so you've never seen Davy Jones. That's like one of the best CG characters ever like it still holds up to this day i think last time you also said do your homework and then you told me to watch the movies well you get an f then okay i can accept that i can't believe you haven't seen that yeah oh man johnny depp jeffrey rush oh the whole crew well anyway i'm sorry mate. i just i just slipped my mind i guess (laughs) (laughs) why is the room Always gone. <laughs> anyway, she, I believe, was in the the Pirates of the Caribbean films, at least a mm. uh, Dead Man's Chest, and uh, I don't remember what the third one is, but it's Pirates of the Caribbean. Three. Are you sure about that, Russ? Mm-hmm. I am. I am. You know what? Oh, I'm gonna look it up. Okay, let's take a little look. See here, and we're gonna see if I'm correct or not. I just happen to have IMDb up. Do oh yeah. On my computer here, Steve. Oh, let's take a <clears throat> Her name, by the way, is uh, Naomi Harris. Mm. Yes. So let's Good take old a- Naomi. She's been in quite a bit of stuff here. Mm. So let's go back down to the early 2000s. Yeah. Well, you could have just looked up the movie. And just, you know. I probably could have. Yeah, that's, a, that's very true, Steve. Yeah, I'm probably going to have to edit this part, right? Yep, I am correct. Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, and Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. Mm. I know my movies. You know your pirates. I do. Of, of the, the Caribbean. Carib- yeah. Or Caribbean, whatever you want. <laughs> tomato, oh, tomato. The Bahamas. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine if that was like part of their, their like, I don't know, think tank? Like, what should we call this movie? And like, like the first version, like, I know, Pirates of the Bahamas, <laughs> Pirates of the off coast of Florida, <laughs> <laughs> Pirates <laughs> of the Cayman Islands, <laughs> oh, hey. Pirates of Hawaii. <laughs> They're like, I just don't think that uh, it's rolling off the tongue right. No, Bob. 
matter of fact, go back to that marketing room and think of something else and don't come back until <laughs> you have something better. <laughs> they like have like a list of like every type of island within, I don't know. The pirates of Fiji. <laughs> no, Bob. Back to marketing. Uh, keep working on it, Bob. You'll get there. <laughs> okay. Anyway. So, yes. Uh, what I was going to say is that in terms of her performance, I think that every time that she let out that horrific phantom type of scream that gave me the willies every single time. And it was literally just a scream, but her performance mixed with the, the audio design, my goodness, like especially like in the XD theater, I was like, Oh my goodness. That was, it was brutal every time. Did you have that same type of response? Yeah, I did. It reminded me of uh, like Banshee or Havoc also from uh, probably like the X, what the X factor? I think it is or, mm. or something. Yeah. You know, similar abilities. Mm. What was about to be, what was her name in the, uh, in the thing? It should say her name in the movie, like her, uh, I told you, Frances Barrison. Yeah, I, I know her. I know her name, but I mean, does she, have, does she have like a villain name? I think that was all that was there. <laughs> What's your villain name, <laughs> Francis? Uh, <laughs> oh, that sounds well, cool. I, I don't know if um, if she even has a villain name or mm. not. Um, yeah. According to this here, let's see. So let me ask you that while you're looking in there, Russ. Okay. Well, she does. It's called Shriek. <sighs> Appropriately enough. Okay. Shriek. It's a cool name. What about, does it say anything about the, uh, the, uh, the detective guy? Cause he will obviously changed at the end of the movie. He was something else. He was like, Oh, Ghost. I'm like, oh, okay. I believe you're you are speaking of uh, Stephen Graham, who plays Detective Mulligan. That would probably that sounds about right, Russ. Nope. That uh, it's at least uh, according to IMDb, he is listed as simply Detective mm. Mulligan. Okay. So. But yeah, it is worth noting that he didn't seem to be the same after he the little encounter. Seem like he was stirring the Kool Aid. Mm. I don't know what happened to him. That that shriek really. Uh, Changed his blood type in a way, Russ. I don't know. It changed something. What did you think yeah. of the story between Shriek and the, the detective in the movie? I think it was a bit far-fetched. I mean, I think they needed to use it to push the story, but... Well, they didn't, though, because if you, if you recall they wove in kind of a sub story where like, you know, she was being transported and he was like the young officer that was uh, escorting her to the, right. the new location. Right. I mean, they could have just showed that scene and then be done with it. But then they instead chose to reveal that, Oh, actually this detective that is in the film isn't just a detective for being a detective, but like really it's like, Oh, this, this person actually has a running history with the love interest. You know, there, there are connections that actually make sense. I, 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 I appreciated that. I, I just thought there could have been a lot more there. I mean, the, the detective was just doing his job. Right. And she was going to kill him. And she, I mean, she's like, what are your last words? Or something like that in the van. And then she was trying to kill him. He took a shot at her, injured her. And then, like, she made it her ultimate, you know, vengeance in her life to go back and kill him. Like, dude, you tried to kill me first. I wasn't trying to, I was just guarding you. That's all I was doing. I'm not your nemesis. Right, but that's that's just a byproduct of the storytelling. I'm saying that, like, actually having... 
Like, it'd be one thing, like, if you had, like, some random actor who is the detective and he comes in and he gives you the stern talk and then you never see him again. You're like, okay, that's, like, the obligatory detective. And instead, they went with... Uh, more of a backstory where like, no, actually the, that previous memory that we all saw, no, that was him. There, there was kind of that little plot twist, a little reveal. We're like, Oh yeah. Okay. I, yeah. No, I know. I definitely get what you're saying. I'm just thinking that, you know, I wanted to be deeper than just, I'm the cop who shot you. Yeah. Um, I mean the, the warden, uh, or not really the warden, but like the the psychiatric ward lady who was definitely pretty cruel and twisted. She's like, oh, ah, no one ever leaves here, you know. And yeah, she she was messed up. I mean, she definitely had some history, like way more than the <laughs> the, the detective did. I thought, and so I thought they were going to treat her a lot worse. I mean, yeah, they you know ended up killing her, but this is a little bit of a change of subject is here. But I have to tell you, while I'm thinking about Steve, the voice of Carnage was one that I wish sounded differently. And again, it's not like, like what they did was bad, but it's, it has more to do with when I read the comics, the voice of carnage just sounded differently to me, just based off of how the character looked and like the way that like they did the font and that sort of thing. I always, um, envisioned carnage's voice to be more high pitched and yeah, shrilly. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. Like like if I were to, I don't know, like like <clears throat> I don't even know if I could do it, but it's like it's way up here. This is what I am. I'm carnage. <laughs> you know, something along those lines where you were like it wouldn't it it would ditch the Saturday morning cartoon vibe of it, but instead it it had more of that. Yeah, like just in, you know, maybe with some wheezing that's in there, and like again because uh, Carnage is um, an offshoot from Venom, and being with um, Cassidy that isn't a perfect match. Like as you know that you go on, you find out you're like, oh wow, like this is not how Eddie and Venom are, but more so the diabolical delight that Carnage has as a character, as someone who who again, gets off on suffering and killing and everything else. I just, I want him to sound more like this. You know, something like that where like, because he's leaner, he has more of that red color. If you don't notice his tendrils tend to be more, uh, scythe or, or knife in shape, you know, whereas venom is more of a brute, he, right? You know, so, so there's more, like, I feel like like venom's voice is perfect, but that's how I always, pictured it whenever I would read the comics. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that too. I It, it wasn't a, a killer for me, but yes, when I, the little that I've read, that's the exact, not the exact voice, but yes, a lighter tone. Mm -hmm. um, because in the first movie, like, you know, the other kind of symbiote generals, I guess, um, also kind of had the same voice. And so if you have like other enemies that are different from Venom, who yeah. have their own personality, but they all have voices like this. Yeah. You know, kind of like an evil cookie monster. You're like, okay, well, did anyone <laughs> else have like a, a different voice? Like, you know, we as humans have different levels of voices. Yeah. Some of ours are lighter than others. Some of them are deeper, you know? And so if we all ha sound like deep and gurgly, there's not much to really differentiate us, you know? And so, yes, I would have liked there to be a different voice for, for Carnage. I know exactly like, what you're talking could, about. Could you, could you picture like more of like that kind of higher? Yeah. Uh, like a higher pitch or like almost like a heat, not, not a helium pitch voice, but like, I don't know. It's like, 
It's like when you think of, of um, Heath Ledger's Joker, for instance, you know, Heath Ledger normally when he, like when he, when he talks normally, he has a very deep voice. Sure. And so it was fascinating to, that, that he took on that more like creepy neighbor persona where, where he, he kind of talks like this, you know, it's a lot higher than how he normally talks. Do you know how I got these scars? <laughs> you want to know how I got these scars? <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So that there was, that it's think of it like you're pushing more toward that less baritone or bass tone. And, and like, you know, you're, you're going more because there is more of that psycho quality to that kind of voice. I don't know. Like I, I it's just my opinion. I mean, other people may disagree, but I'm, I'm kind of tickled that you also feel the same way. Yeah, I, I remember reading that. I remember thinking of that or imagining it anyway uh, while picking up your comics and reading them. I never read them at the... I never had any of my own and I never read them, like, picked them up out of the film and read them in the comic book store. I wasn't that guy, you know, but I read yours. Yeah. And so, yeah, his voice... I mean, I, I totally agree. I didn't think of it until you said it, but I remember being a little bit disappointed in that in the theater and I just kind of let it go because it wasn't a killer, like I said, but, um, but yes, I, I would have... You only get one shot really yeah. to do this right. And so, yeah, that could have been where it could pick up some extra points. You know, one of the other critiques I have of the film is that they end up killing Carnage. And I think that was a mistake. Maybe. Cause he ate him. Well, yeah, he ate him. But I mean, he basically became kind of part of his some like gene pool again. I've you Well, yeah. But I mean, I guess you, he could come back. Well, if you recall, like, well, yeah, he, there's always that possibility. Right. But like the that's where the idea came from, where this part of, of Venom was no longer a part of, of him. And, you know, when um, when Cassidy bit Eddie's thumb or whatever it was, there was a transfer of blood and then it went into Cassidy's bloodstream and everything else. And so the, and then if you recall, um, Carnage itself made the comment about how he needs to kill his father in order to like, you know, have rite of passage basically, you know, right. which I thought was interesting as well. <laughs> there was that scene too, where there was a priest, you know, they were, they were trying to marry Cassidy <laughs> and yeah. you know, Francis. And then he's like, father. Yeah. Like, no, not that father. That yeah. father. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> but see that, that kind of stuff I love. Like I thought right. that kind of thing is, um, very unique unto this particular movie. And it was one of the highlights, honestly, like again, the dialogue was on point. Like I, I loved it. I thought, I thought it was great throughout the entire movie. Let's talk about the Easter egg at the end. Sure. So we were hoping for an Easter egg. We got a doozy of an Easter egg. I think the whole theater got very excited when we saw it. And I'm, I'm like, super pumped. I got to say, I mean, like when we realized that, um, well, first of all, we see them in some sort of, of hotel and on the beach or in some location. Well, yeah, they're, they're on some sort of beach location, but then it goes to this hotel room that they're staying in. And Venom is about to kind of showcase Eddie, like how, like, like a fragment of like, like what a symbiote feels like or what their history or whatever. And then this event happens where all of a sudden it's like everything changes and they're like, well, did you do that? And, and Venom's like, I didn't, I didn't do nothing. I didn't know. Did. You know, like, like it was a lot of fun to like see that. And then we, we get the big reveal of seeing Tom Hiddleston um, on TV as Spider-Man and what an exciting situation because 
it is essentially the acknowledgement that yes, that Tom Hardy's venom will meet with the Tom Hiddleston's Peter Parker in a Spider-Man movie. We don't know if it's going to be in the, the next Spider-Man film. Tom Holland. I'm just, thank you, Steve. We had Loki Spider-Man. Oh, man, this is a crazy multiverse. It is indeed. Thank Let's you get it way out of hand. Way okay. out of hand, Rose. Somebody, somebody told me. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> You're like, sorry about that. Hey, Tom. Both Tom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My goodness. Hey, I'm sorry. No, not Tom. That Tom. No, me, not him. No, yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> They should do like a Night at the Roxbury <laughs> spinoff. Like, me, not him. Me, him. Uh, anyway, yes. Tom Holland. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I was super pumped to see that. And I, it makes me wonder, okay, how is this going to play out? Are they, are they going to allow um, this, this Venom character that Sony has been creating into the MCU world? We know that the next Spider-Man film is going to have Doctor Strange. And not only that, but there's also a Doctor Strange film coming out as well in the not too distant future. And this is where we're going to start seeing all the, the variants and, and the multiverses and crazy, crazy shenanigans happening. Are you excited about that? I am. About the the prospect? Yeah. I mean, when I walked into the theater, I thought, okay, where else are they going to go? Because, like, I've been saying this entire episode, my knowledge is very limited with with Venom, so I don't know what his villain is going to be. Or, I mean, beyond Spider-Man, I don't know which way they would would take it. So I thought, if they don't bring in Spider-Man, I don't know which way they're going to go. So that's like, that's, to me, that was a given. But I didn't know. I mean, I wasn't for sure. And so when we finally saw it, I was like, yes, that's that's where (laughs) I wanted him to go. And they took it there. Thank you. And so, yeah, I mean, when that next Spider-Man movie comes out of it, maybe they won't do it. Maybe they'll do it after that, this next Spider-Man movie. But um, even so, like, I can't wait for that. I do wonder though. So yeah, so you bring up uh, a good point, which is there is a bit of a gamut going on with this because when we saw that Easter egg, I was led to believe, okay, Venom is now going to be a part of the MCU films. However, Sony still owns the Spider-Man property, you know, all the villains, Spider-Man himself. So it could go one of two ways. It could either, yes, like they will basically also have Venom on loan to the MCU to be able to use in future Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, or Sony will just continue with its Spider-Man line and bring, you know, basically real Tom Holland back over to the Sony side and have standalone Spider-Man films. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out just because the MCU has been... Uh, at the director's seat regarding Tom Holland's time as Spider-Man. Right. Yeah. I think where there's money to be made, they'll figure it out. I mean, I don't, I don't think that they're going to have villain or villain venom. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think they're going to have venom, like totally join the MCU and especially not really seen that much in the Avengers. I I just don't see that happening. He's kind of, kind of mono, we mono with the Spider-Man story. Yeah. So I mean, they may they might bring him in as as a surprise, but um, I don't see that kind of happening too much. Yeah. What are your uh, final thoughts and ratings, Steve? So Russ, uh, I enjoyed myself. I thought the humor and the movie. We actually didn't really talk about well, we talked about the dialogue, but um, I thought the humor was very. I don't want to say fresh, but unexpected. I mean, a lot of humor today in movies does sound really the same to me. And this was definitely different. I found myself laughing a bunch in the theater. Uh, I was probably laughing a little bit more than you were laughing. 
Um, they gave me a lot of what I wanted to see uh, with uh, with Venom and beating up, you know, and what people, baddies and whatnot. I love seeing him and Carnage both on screen. Yeah, it wasn't rated R. Rated R definitely would have been better. Um, a different voice for Carnage would have been better. Um, there, so there, it, it did lack a few things. There were, it could have been better. Um, but I think overall, I really enjoyed it as a sequel. Mm-hmm. And even the, the music was good, and I thought, in the, in the movie as well. Yep. Um, and so I, I'm not going to say I liked it as much as, as the first, but I mean, it's right there. Mm-hmm. It is definitely right there. I would say I would give it about three and a half. Okay. Yeah, and I, I'd love to see it again. I mean, I, I I would I will see it again. Not maybe not in the theater. I'll wait till it comes out. Sure, you know, for uh, like you know HBO Max or something. But um, or I don't. I, well, I was going to say Disney Plus, but I don't think it's going to be available on Disney Plus. Maybe no. maybe not. Um, but I definitely want to see it in my own in my own house, my own system. Very nice. I thought it was um, a fun romp through like, a continuation from where the first film left off. I think also in terms of where they decided to explore the relationships between Eddie Brock and Venom, as well as Eddie and Anne, Venom and Anne, so on and so forth. And even the introduction to Woody Harrelson as uh, uh, Cletus Cassidy, as, you know, AKA Carnage. Um, I thought that that was all handled very well. I do still think that in terms of, the character development of Carnage, I feel as though the film could have really benefited from like an additional 30 minutes where we get to see more of kind of like who Carnage is. And I think as a result, like it would make like, they, I feel like they, they relied a little too much on the visual grotesqueness of Carnage, right? Like Carnage, there was plenty of close-up shots where Carnage was roaring and he had his little like knife tendrils out and that sort of thing. And that serves a certain purpose. But what truly makes a villain scary is when you understand their methodology. You know, and we've talked about this from time to time on the show. Like Thanos is a great example where over the the two films and even like like his little cameos here and there before the Avengers Endgame um, and, and Avengers Infinity War, by, th- by that point, we fully understood why he was doing what he was doing and that made him that much more of a threat. It made him that much more despicable. Like you were like, oh my goodness, like this is terrifying because it's one thing to like have kind of the boogeyman look and like scare you, but it's also different too when like you realize, wow, like, that's the the motivation and that's like how they that that's their what do they what do they call it um oh, I want to say it's like modus operandi or something yeah, like that I wasn't thinking of that trying to get fancy and it's failing <laughs> miserably <laughs> but anyway I really wanted to to see a bit more of the character fleshed out having said that though the dialogue was right on point. I really loved what they did with it. I think that them in terms of like, if you want to talk about the, like a positive for character development, Venom was wonderfully explored. I think that we got to see a lot more facets of the character than we would have otherwise. And it is, it, it's a fun opportunity to have an anti-hero film that exists within the kind of the comic book movie world. Right. I do wonder, I share your question though, about where do we go from here? Because Venom exists in the world of Spider-Man and 
it's through those other characters, that whole catalog of characters that exist within Spider-Man's universe that Venom gets to interact with, have temporary alliances with, you know, have grudges against or rivalries. I mean, like that that's part of what makes it great. And you, I think that's what the creators know too. I think that's why we're seeing like a, like a, a, a little glimpse of what's to come because um, that's going to be, uh, it's unavoidable. Like, right. like that, that's what people want to see. They want to, and especially with Tom Hardy, like who doesn't want to see Tom Hardy and Tom Holland in the same scenes together doing their thing. I mean, that, that's going to fill theater seats. Right. Uh, completely. Butts so, and chairs, Russ. There you go. Butts and chairs. So, yeah, I think I, I agree with you. I think I would probably give this a 3.5 hmm. uh, star rating as a result. It's almost like uh, host and symbiote. You know? Indeed. One on one. Oh, boy. We need to go out for some chocolate. <laughs> And brains. <laughs> that wraps up this episode of Joygasm. Thank you for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm where you can enjoy exclusive perks and early access to the show. Not as mentioned, it continue helping us, helps us, something along those lines, doing what we love to do. Also make sure you click that subscribe button. Click that notification bell while you're at it. That way you will not miss a single episode of Joygasm that drops once a week every week. Also, do a search of at Joygasm TV on your favorite social media platform of choice. We're on all of them, just about. Finally, do a search for Joygasm TV on Twitch to see you stream our games. <laughs> to see us stream our video games live every Wednesday night at 9 30 p.m. <laughs> to watch us watch you to play watch our games with you. Multiverse, baby. <laughs> it's just coming apart <laughs> over here. We'll see you next week.